Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for our sermon is recorded by the Old Testament prophet Joel in chapter 3 verses 12 through 16. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow, because their wickedness is so great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened, and the stars will stop shining. The Lord will roar from Zion and shout from Jerusalem. The sky and the earth will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a lot of false teaching out there about the end of times. And if you stay up late at night and watch Christian TV, you'll find that it sells to scare people with the end of times. And besides those who hawk it to make money and stuff, there's also those who are just simply confused. More than one time in my life, I've had somebody who isn't even a Christian tell me that at the end of times, they're going to be there at the great battle, standing up and fighting for those who are weak. And it's funny, but every time I've ever heard that, it's somebody who does not have their life together. So why would they think they're going to be a big champion at the end? There's a lot of confusion about the end of times. But you know, in the Old Testament, God foreshadows a lot of things coming in the New Testament. But just like if somebody's coming around the corner and you see their shadow... Sometimes you can't tell if it's a man or a woman or if they're happy or sad. Well, in today's text, God foreshadows for us the end of times, but it includes a little bit of the New Testament era, and it really gives us clarity as we look for those last days. Now, in this text, God uses a battle that took place fourth descendant after David, King Jehoshaphat, And so to know about the battle that God uses as that foreshadow, if we look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 2, we're told, After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meunites, in a few verses, they're going to be called those from Mount Seir, with them, all came together against Jehoshaphat for battle. Jehoshaphat was told, A huge horde is coming against you, and from beyond the sea and from Edom. Look, they're already in Hazazon Tamar. So 2 Chronicles makes it clear to us that basically they found an open window, slipped into Judah. Now, the civil war had already taken place and the northern kingdom is busy with their false worship. We ought to realize if these people succeed, they can wipe out the lineage of our Savior. They can destroy the temple because they're pagans. Then the world would be in trouble. This has truly got to be God's battle. And so we're told in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 14 through 15, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeiel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite from the descendants of Asaph. He was standing in the middle of the assembly. He said, Listen, all Judah, all you residents of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified because of this huge horde. For the battle is not yours, it's God's. So today as we look at the end of time, that's our sermon theme. Do not be afraid. For the battle is not yours, it's God's. 
But, once again, this battle is the foreshadow of the last day in some of the New Testament era. And so, let's hear exactly how the battle went. And that's recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 22 through 25. At that time when they began the jubilant songs of praise to the Lord, he set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were marching against Judah, and they were routed. Because the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to destroy them and wipe them out. When they were finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy each other. When Judah came to a spot overlooking the wilderness and looked out towards the horde, they saw nothing but dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Jehoshaphat and his people came to gather the spoils. They found huge amounts of equipment and valuables among the bodies. They collected so much for themselves that they could not carry it. It took them three days to gather the spoils because there was so much. An army coming in to wipe out God's people. God says, don't be afraid. The battle's not yours. It's mine. And then he turns those three armies against each other and they kill each other. And did you hear what the people were doing before the battle? The, the people of Judah, they sang songs of praise. Woo! God said it's his battle. Hallelujah. And they celebrated as if it was already done. And when they got to the battle, they found exactly what they were celebrating. The battle was already done. And so today, as we cover that theme, the battle is not yours, it's God's. Let's take a look at what's going on there, starting at verse 12. And it's very interesting. Literally, if we translate the Hebrew, it's let them be awakened. What a beautiful picture of the last day. For everyone who dies before the coming of the Lord, the scripture calls it, especially for believers, sleep. Your body will rest in the grave where it will decay, but your soul will be before the Lord. For unbelievers, they will go to hell, and when Christ returns, he will wake them up too. He will reconnect their soul with their body. So God here says, let them be awakened. Let them come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all nations on every side. You know, God says it's time to come up. It's time for judgment day. It's time to come into my courtroom. And that's the last day. But what is that last day? What's that courtroom going to look like? In verse 14, the Hebrew word for multitudes is more than just a lot of people. If you've ever been in a crowded gymnasium or concert hall where everybody's talking and moving around, there's a lot of noise and your ears start hurting. It's really bustling multitudes. There's everybody ever is going to be there. Bustling multitudes upon bustling multitudes in the valley of the, in the Hebrews actually strict decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of the strict decision. Why do I emphasize the Hebrew word is strict decision? Because it's a final decision, period. And God has made what that decision and judgment is very clear. Like I said, behind this prophecy, we actually find for you and I, living well after the coming of Christ, the actual battle is over. That happened when God took on human flesh and boldly went to the cross. On the cross, the devil was defeated. On the cross, death was defeated. On the cross, your sin was removed. And we rejoice in that. So what is the strict decision? It's no secret. God has made it clear. Once again, John 3.16, the summary of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
It's that simple. Is the Holy Spirit in your heart, hence you have faith, or not? Now, everybody who dies before the Lord comes, we can say, in a way, their judgment day is the day God calls them to eternal glory. And that's very simple. Is there faith in their heart or isn't it? Because if there's faith, their body's going to decay, but their soul will be before the throne of God. And they'll be reunited with their bodies, and they already know what the decision's going to be because they've been in heaven, right? They're considered righteous because of Christ's righteousness. And so as we look at the end of time, the last day, we don't need to be afraid because the battle is not yours, it's God's. It's God's courtroom and it's God's strict decision. And I emphasize that because there's a lot of false teaching about the end of times that makes it sound like Christ is going to come and then come again and then come again and unbelievers will be given a second chance and a third chance. Uh -uh. Last day, that's it. Believers, unbelievers. And so our text describes that. We're told in verse 13, stretch out the sickle for the harvest has grown ripe. Come, tread, for the wine press is full. The wine vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. In our gospel lesson in Matthew chapter 13, we hear that the harvesters are the angels. And if we look, for example, when Jesus told the account of the rich man and poor Lazarus, you'll notice that when poor Lazarus dies, we're told the angels carried his soul to heaven. If you close your eyes and open them and angels appear, don't be afraid. You're going to heaven. You're going to have your sinful nature taken away and you will be before the throne of God. That is tremendous comfort. But what about those who did not have faith? What about those who, as Jesus says to the church in Revelation, were lukewarm? God's picture there is in, in the gospel lesson in Matthew 13 is separating out the tares from the wheat. And tares look a lot like wheat until right before they're ready to be harvested. So you've got to wait. And that's a lesson for us to remember. It's God's strict decision. It's God's harvest. If we were to turn around and look at our congregation and say, let's go find out the people who may be hypocrites, the men or women who may be coming just and so their spouse doesn't nag at them, we will tear our congregation apart. This is God's work not ours. But the angels are going to take care of this again. And God's picture for those who have rejected him, for those who don't have faith here, well, when the grapes were done, you put them in a big old press. And when I was a kid, I remember watching cartoons where somebody walks in that and smashes, squashes, squashes, squashes the grapes so they can make something else out of them, wine. Now, God in our gospel lesson made it clear the tares are going to be thrown in the furnace. That's hell. Basically, God here is giving a warning to everybody's sinful nature. I will crush you like a grape. And so we rejoice that the harvest is God's and he's put his Holy Spirit in your heart. And so, you know, clinging to his word, he's going to keep his promise and you're going to go to heaven. However, when I've talked to people, especially unbelievers, and I, in a former occupation, talk to more than one devil worshiper, I have found there are a lot of people who don't think about how God has already won the battle. And they think there's going to be a big battle at the end and that the devil may be able to trick God and the devil may actually win. 
Now, that's exactly what the devil thought when he got a third of the angels to follow him in rebellion to God, and that didn't turn out very well, did it? That's exactly what the devil thought when he says, well, here's the God-man, I know he's the Savior, let's go ahead and get him murdered and out of the way, and the devil didn't even realize the cross was exactly how Jesus was going to crush his head as God promised Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, verse 15. How can you and I know that the devil is never going to defeat God? Well, we're told the sun and the moon are dark. The stars gathered and have taken away their brightness. See, God made everything. Before God, the pre-incarnate son, spoke those words, let there be light, there was nothing but God. God made everything, including the devil. And again, the devil was not made to sin. He was holy when he was made. And so this is God's creation. The devil's never going to escape out of hell. The devil's never going to overpower God. And every time he thinks he's defeated God, God laughs as the devil, shall we say, proverbially cuts his own throat. But that sounds scary, doesn't it? Because God has subjected this world to decay. After Adam and Eve bought into the devil's lie and fell, God allowed diseases like cancer and the flu and even coronavirus to be in this world so that you and I would not get attached to this world. Because God has promised us he's going to make the world anew. When he calls you, he's going to rip your sinful nature away and you'll never have to struggle with sin. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth where we will be before the throne of God in paradise forever. This world's subject to decay now so that we don't get attached to it. We look forward to when it's remade, the paradise God has made only for those who have the Holy Spirit in their heart. It sounds scary, doesn't it? For ever since mankind has begun to travel, they've used the stars to navigate around at night. The Big Dipper will tell you where north is and everything else. And all of a sudden, the sun isn't even going to give light. Here we have the picture when God destroys creation and makes it anew. Now, we're going to get into the comfort you and I have in that. But what we want to get out of this so far is this is God's creation and nobody else's. He owns it. He's in control. So don't be afraid. The battle's not yours. It's God's. It's God's court. It's God's harvest. And it's God's creation. But the comfort as we think about all of this being destroyed comes at verse 16. And the Lord will roar from Zion and he will give his voice from Jerusalem. And then the heavens and the earth will shake. Yet the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold for the sons of Israel. Now, Zion was the mountain where the temple was built. And, of course, the temple was meant to remind the people God was with them. And it really pointed out with all the sacrifices and blood that God was going to be with us by taking on human flesh. But God, when he gave Moses the original instructions to build the portable tabernacle, God had promised to dwell in the holiest of holies. There above the Ark of the Covenant, where the Ten Commandments were, once a year, the high priest, after having to go through all the ceremonial cleansing, would sprinkle the blood of a lamb on that mercy seat to atone for all the sins of Israel for a year. God had promised to come and be with the people and atone for them. That's what Zion would remind the people of as the temple was built on top of it. And again, we're told, and he will give his voice from Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem was the capital city. The temple was in Jerusalem. But we have to remember it was supposed to be, supposed to is the key word, if you lived in Jerusalem, you were supposed to be a believer. Jerusalem in the Old Testament is a concrete picture of something that's very difficult to understand because we don't see it. You know it as the invisible church that's made up of all believers, which began when God gave faith to Adam and Eve, promising them a savior, and it never ends. The last person to be converted on the last day will be the last one added to it, but the invisible church is Jerusalem, and you're a member, as Jesus says in John chapter 15, you're connected to him as a branch is from the vine. So here we have that picture of God roaring from his throne among us as we're connected to him, and his shouting out, giving his voice from the invisible church. And then we're told, and then the heavens and the earth will shake, yet the Lord is a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the sons of Israel. You are sons of Israel by the adoption of faith. So here's the picture. People get confused and they think God's going to come and build a new Jerusalem and everything. The invisible church is the true Jerusalem. And the new Jerusalem is simply on the last day when the invisible church is made visible. But God's the fortress. He's ruling in your and my midst to keep you in your faith. And on the last day when God destroys the stars and everything else, he's going to keep you safe. You'll be kept safe. All the unbelievers will go to hell as he remakes this creation. You will be given a glorified body that will never ache or hurt or have to deal with things like coronavirus and the flu and cancer and those kinds of things. And paradise will be given to you. Creation will be made anew. He's going to keep you safe. But there's a comfort for us now in your daily life because you are connected to Christ and it's God's fortress. He's keeping you in it. If we look at 1 Peter, uh, we hear Peter saying that you are priests, but he also says you're bricks that make up the temple of the Lord. You are God's fortress because you've been put on the foundation stone of Christ and you have the privilege of being priests who serve the very temple that you're bricks that make up as God keeps you safe. Are there all kinds of false teachings about the end of times? Yes, there are. Is it scary for a believer? Absolutely not. It's actually very simple. Don't be afraid. The battle is not yours. It's God's. It's God's court. And you know you've already been judged righteous because you have faith. It's God's harvest. And you know he's taking you to heaven because he's keeping you in your faith. It's God's creation. You're God's creation. And you know he's going to make all things new for you. And it's God's fortress. You're in it as a member of the invisible church of all believers. And on the last day, you and I who are believers will be seen. But God is going to keep you safe in his hands forever. Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, 
Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, we praise you for the countless blessings which we receive from your hand, the beauties of creation and the bounties of the earth, the joy of life and the pleasure of friendship, the good of work and the gift of rest, the privilege to share happiness and sorrow with one another. Above all, we praise and thank you for your saving word and for your son's body and blood, which you give us to eat and drink in the sacrament. Through these means of grace, you send the Holy Spirit into our hearts and unite us to Jesus and to the whole Christian church on earth. Strengthen us through this heavenly food. Increase our trust in Christ and our love for one another. Great God and Lord, without your continuing help, we easily waver in our faith, lose courage, and grow careless in our watchfulness. The times and days are perilous. Give us strength to face the evils of each day with fresh confidence. Open our lips to speak of your grace and move us to use the gifts that you give us to share your word of salvation with all people. Protect and prosper the family, the school, the government, and all good institutions that you have established for the benefit of society. Remember in mercy those who are sick and suffering and bring your healing to troubled homes and lives. Move us to pray for those in need and help them with deeds of kindness. Gracious Lord, we ask you to proclaim rest to those who are weary in this decaying world of sin, that they may be made members of your kingdom. We often are able to see the blessings you have brought us through the COVID-19 virus, and we pray, Lord, that you continue to protect our flock, but we ask you to put that in remission that our entire congregation can gather once again together in worship. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Now, eternal God and Father, keep us in the saving faith and so enable us to overcome all things through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.